Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. We have uh, Jeremy Woodall with us here today. He is the BCM pastor uh, at UAM, uh, which is home of the Bowl Weebles. For those of That's you right, who don't baby. know, now you know. That's right. That's right. And uh, Jeremy came into school about the time I was leaving school. We knew each other a little bit then, uh, but I've grown to highly appreciate and respect him. Uh, he's doing a phenomenal job with our, with our Baptist Collegiate Ministry uh, on campus. And I consider it a privilege to call him friend. And uh, he's coming today to bring us our message. And uh, so if we can welcome Jeremy Woodall. Well, it is a, a, a privilege for me to be here this morning. Um, I said uh, a couple of times this morning, first off, are we being recorded? Like, okay, all right, let me be careful how I say this then. Uh, I, I preach a lot of different places, uh, especially all over southeast Arkansas, and, and very rarely uh, do I get the privilege of, of being at a church like First Baptist Danville. And, and the reason why I say that is because uh, it's in, 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 in pandemic excluded from just, just the thought of this, um, as welcoming and, and alive of a church uh, that we've experienced this morning. So you've welcomed my family. My wife, Becca, is over there, and we have our daughter, Willow, in here uh, with us. The, the picture that was uh, shared this morning, uh, Willow was excluded from, so I want to make sure that Willow uh, gets, gets at least a few more things said about her. She's an incredibly... Uh, precious and uh, full of life a little when she was little I used to say she's energy covered in flesh and that is that is Willow and then in the back if you hear some chaos happening during the message that's because of my four-year-old cash or uh, my soon-to-be one-year-old uh, little boy bear and so Bear was asleep whenever he went in there, so uh, hopefully for those ladies' sake, uh, he'll still be. Uh, but it was, it was incredible just to hear uh, just what God has been doing in your church, um, uh, the new babies, the new families that have come, and just to, to know that y'all are having to try to find uh, more space uh, for those young ones, that's, that's a great problem to have. And so that speaks a lot to the, just the welcoming nature of this church, uh, the work of the staff, uh, I'll especially... Uh, talk about my fellow bowl weevil, uh, Brother Daniel, this morning. Uh, as he said this morning, whenever I was a freshman, uh, I uh, walked on to the, to the football team, uh, and uh, Daniel was, was getting ready to leave. And so, uh, honestly, my entire experience with Daniel in, in college was me just trying not to tick him off. And, uh, and so uh, it, it has been fun uh, for, uh, you know, to hear him call me a friend. It's almost kind of like, whoa, you know, uh, this guy that I looked up to for so much, for so long. And, and it's been so much fun, especially since around 2015, I believe, is whenever he came on staff here. I know he was coaching before then, but just, just to see how the Lord has used him. Uh, in this community. This is a, I know way more about your church than you know about me uh, because of Pastor Jamie Staley and because of Daniel and some of the people that you've had here in your church. And so it is a ple pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here on Senior Sunday uh, to be able to recognize those seniors then to have one of them baptized. That's such an incredible uh, testimony to the work that you've done in the life of those young people. Hearing uh, about uh, uh, going to, to school at Tech. I wish we were a little bit closer so we could get some of your students at UAM. If you'd ever uh, like to send them uh, to that other country that is Southeast Arkansas, we would love to have them and lo love to take care of them. Uh, but I'm so excited for Brad and those folks that, that work with college students at Arkansas Tech to get a few of your students and 
then you have one that's going to Harding on uh, a full scholarship. So that's, that's an incredible testimony uh, to the way that you have loved and that you've nurtured and brought up uh, those young people. And so uh, it's just a pleasure uh, for me to be here. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, the reason why uh, I, I wanted to uh, speak on this, and honestly, since just meeting some of you and just being a part of worship this morning, this is going to be more of a, a message of encouragement. A lot of times, as a pastor, uh, you share messages that have um, challenged you from God's Word. This is definitely a message that has challenged me from God's Word. There's not a message that I, I, I ever preach that hasn't preached to me. Uh, before I've gotten up here to preach it. And so this is not going to be a message to discourage anybody, uh, to try to tell you that this is something that you have not been doing. Uh, let this be something, uh, especially for this church, that I have in good conscience and, and, and belief that you have been doing these things. Let this just be further encouragement for you to continue to do these things, not just in the life of your young people, in the life of your children, uh, but the lives of each other. Uh, because I would love uh, for this church uh, to be known in this part of central Arkansas as a church uh, that takes on some of the characteristics of a young man like Nehemiah uh, that cared for his people. And, uh, and as a result of that care, the Lord really used uh, the work of Nehemiah to, to, to set up a lot of amazing things. So let me pray for us, and, and then we'll dig in this morning. Father, I'm so thankful to be here at First Danville. Uh, Father, I'm so thankful to uh, just be here uh, with my friend Daniel, and Lord, I'm so uh, just incredibly grateful for the work that he has been doing on your behalf in this community for such a long time. So Father, I pray that, um, Lord, that you will use your word this morning to do what only you can do through your word. Lord, that's inspire us, that's challenge us, that's change us. Father, we want to be... Um, your servants, Father, for these seniors and for these students, that these seniors that are getting ready to go to what we consider the most strategic mission field in the world, and that's the college campus, Father, that they will take on uh, some of the uh, characteristics of Nehemiah, but most importantly, the characteristics of your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray that we, uh, as people of this church, as people of uh, the global church, uh, we'll do everything that we can to be a people that are about making disciples, that are about sharing the love of Christ, about caring for the world around us. Lord, we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Nehemiah is uh, it's, it's a favorite of mine. I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't spent time reading the book of Nehemiah, it doesn't take very long, but read Ezra and Nehemiah together. Uh, most of the manuscripts that were found, these, these were books uh, that were joined together that tell a lot of the same story, but separated for our canon. We read them as separate books. I would encourage you to go and read these. Ezra and Nehemiah are two individuals that the Lord uses at a pretty pivotal time in the life of the people of Israel. Prior to the exile, um, the people had experienced judgment, uh, mostly for uh, their inability to remain consistently faithful and obedient and single-minded in their relationship with God. We've been studying as uh, a BCM group. We study through books of the Bible each semester, and we do our small group curriculum as, long, as well as our uh, a time of study in, uh, as a, a large group each week together. We've been studying the book of Exodus. You see throughout the book of Exodus, you see the faithfulness of God displayed uh, in spite of the people of Israel's lack of faithfulness and their lack of ability to 
hold fast their attention and their affection to the Lord and to the Lord alone. And it's, it, and it's really, historically, it's been our problem. It's been our problem that we allow things to come in to rob from us and rob from the Lord our attention and our affection. And the people, we, we, we sometimes experience spiritual exile, but these people are actually experiencing exile away from their native land because of their inability to keep their covenant relationship with God. What we see in Ezra and Nehemiah is this renewed interest in remaining separated unto God. If there's one thing I can encourage a student, it says you get ready to go to college or you get ready to go to uh, serve in the military, uh, is remain completely separated unto God. Allow your attention and your affection to be for Him and for Him alone because whenever you get to uh, college and then whenever you get into the real world, uh, Satan will use the things of this world to uh, take away your attention from the things of God and to not to remain separated unto Him. And you will experience this exile of your spirit, this exile of your soul uh, that longs to be separated unto God. What we see, uh, especially in, as, in, in this book of uh, Nehemiah, is this reaffirming of their centeredness, of their personal holiness. We see in chapter 8 their uh, attention being brought back to the Word of God as, as Ezra, uh, a powerful chapter, that he gets up and he just reads the Torah. He just reads the Pentateuch over the people. He doesn't teach it. He just reads it. And the power of God's Word over their life creates revival amongst the people creates revival in their spirit. The Word of God was something that I wish as a high school student I had developed a passion for before I went off to college. Thankfully, uh, because of some men that I met, a campus minister that just retired from uh, UAM after 38 years. I always know how long Rob Leonard had been at UAM uh, because he got there the month I was born. He had been there for 38 years, just retired. He's taken over as pastorate of his home church there in Monticello. But my mentor, uh, my uh, BSU uh, campus minister at the time, whenever Daniel and I was in college, uh, was a guy by the name of Jeff Noble. And Jeff really took me, and he challenged me, and he charged me to develop a passion for God's Word. And that over time, as my attention to God's Word and my attention to detail of following God's Word has become uh, more and more consistent in my life. I've experienced this separate, uh, this separate, separate, I can't speak this morning, this being separated unto God more, more efficiently in my life. I've experienced revival in my life and a more willingness to be obedient to the things of God. The events of Ezra and Nehemiah set the stage for the ministry and for the coming of Jesus. These important things that take place because of the faithfulness of these individuals. So this morning we're talking about caring. We're talking about our willingness to care for those around us. Not just in our church, but in our community, in our world. Those that are close to the Lord, our care for them. Those that are far away from the Lord, our care for them. George Bernard Shaw has this pretty powerful quote when it comes to us caring for others. It says this, the worst sin towards our fellow man is not to hate them, but it's to be indifferent towards them. It's to be apathetic 
towards the situations of their life. This is the essence of inhumanity. Let me read that again. The worst sin towards our fellow man is not to hate them, but to be indifferent towards them. Thankfully, in the life of Nehemiah, Nehemiah cared. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 1, and we'll read to verse 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. During the month of Chislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, this is one of his biological brothers, arrived with men from Judah. And I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and his gates have been burned. Then I heard these words and I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the gods of heaven, God of heavens. I said, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and, tonight, and, and at night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands and statutes and ordinance that you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and your strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. So the first thing that we see here in Nehemiah chapter 1, when it comes to Nehemiah and his willingness to care, is he cared enough to ask. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, During the month of Chislev in the 20th year when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah. And I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And this is what they said. The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and his gates have been burned. So the very last part of chapter 1, we see here this one short phrase that carries with it a lot of implications. The first, or the what he says here, is I was the king's cupbearer. So what this meant for Nehemiah is he had great access and great responsibility. He had uh, great access to the king. He was by the king pretty much any time the king was around food or drink. He had a pretty hazardous job. As you know, a cupbearer would taste the wine before uh, it was presented to the king. And, and, and you could probably understand why that was, is to see whether or not someone was trying to poison the king or with their food try to poison the king. And so each and every time he took a sip of that wine or took a bite of that food before it went to the king, there was some hazard that went to that. But could you imagine someone that the king uh, trusted more and, and wanted beside him more and then his cupbearer, Nehemiah, was that. But he had 
this great access to the king, uh, even though he had a hazardous job, he had a pretty uh, uh, cush job, he had uh, a great place to stay, a great place uh, to live, comfortable, but his people were off somewhere else. His people, the people of Jerusalem, the Israelites, they were back in Jerusalem. He could have left there to go to be with them, but the Lord had placed him in this position for a great purpose. He stayed in the palace. We see uh, in this story kind of remnants of Esther, that the Lord had put her in this place for such a time as this. We see this with Nehemiah. We can trust that the Lord puts his people in the proper places for proper times to be used for his glory, for his purposes, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, if you're in Christ, the Lord is strategic to where he places you. There's a reason why you're in Danville, Arkansas. There's a reason why you're going to Arkansas Tech or to Harding. There's a reason why the Lord has placed certain things in your life and opened certain doors in your life for you to be where you're at. It's to be used for his glory and for his purposes. He could have just been okay with his life situation, but whenever his brother came to him, he could not help to ask what, is of, or what has happened to our people. Tell me what's going on with our people. He cared enough to ask about the state of his folks. He acquired about him. Why would he care? He was safe, secure, and comfortable. He cared because his people meant a great deal to him. His people, the people of God, meant a great deal to him. A fraction of the people, as it said, had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, the temple, etc. A, a, a portion of them uh, that went did not survive the trip. They were in bad shape. There was a lot of work to do to repair the temple, to repair the city. We know why they were in this situation. We were in this situation because of disobedience in their life and overall for the people of Israel. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves or where we find other people, whether it's because of sin in their own life or disobedience in their own life. Whenever we find them in certain situations and we care enough to ask them about how they are doing and we care enough about getting close enough to them to be able to find about the situations in their life, it doesn't matter how they got there. It just matters whether we care about them enough to be able to help them through those times. Care enough about them to be able to be a spark that encourages change. Change to bring them back to where they are supposed to be in their relationship with Christ. Care about them enough to ask about their spiritual status to begin with, to find out whether they have a relationship with Jesus to begin with or not. Some of you are in this room because someone cared enough to ask. Someone cared enough to get close enough to you to find out what was wrong or maybe something that you didn't even realize was wrong. They cared enough to get close enough to you in order to be able to live out and share the gospel with you so that you could trust in Jesus for yourself. Nehemiah cared enough to ask about his people. The second thing we see is he cared enough to weep. Verse 4 says, when I heard these words, when he heard about what was going on with his people, he said he sat down and he wept and he mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heavens. He cared enough to weep when he found out the status of his people. It says he sat. More likely, this was a place, because he was 
a Jew, he was given a place because of his status, because of being the cupbearer, he had this private space for him to go and to spend time with his Lord. He went there to pray. He went there to talk with the Lord. He went there to fast. Now, traditionally, the people of Israel would fast one time a year uh, during the Day of Atonement. But for a number of days, Nehemiah sat in this room, and he wept, and he prayed, and he fasted for his people. Several days. Church, when is the last time you spent time praying? You spent time weeping? You spent time fasting for the Lord to do something in the life of someone in your church, someone you truly care about. When's the last time you spent time praying, weeping, fasting for the lost? For that lost family member, that lost child, that lost student that you know of at the school over here. Spent time praying, praying for the staff of this church, your pastor, the Sunday school teachers, your fellow deacons, your fellow members of the church, these people that love you and you are called to love, when is the last time you cared enough to spend time in prayer and fasting and weeping for them? The third thing we see, cared enough to ask, he cared enough to weep, he also cared enough to pray. Whenever he sits down in his room, fasting, praying, these are the words that he prayed to the Lord, starting in verse 5 said, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keeps his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins that we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, the statutes, in the ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. Please remember that you have commanded, how you have commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. He cared enough to pray. And during this prayer, we see praise to God. A part of your prayer life, I like to use what we call the Acts prayer model. Should be adoration. Should be praise to your God. Thanking Him for who He is and what He has been to you. A part of that prayer also needs to be confession. Not confession of this sin, of this person that you've inquired about, that you found out about some of the things that are going on in their life. Not only just confession of the sins that are in their life, but ultimately... And first of all, the confession of sin in your own life. He said, forgive, for we have sinned against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned against you. This confession of sin, this expression also of confidence in the Lord. He claims a promise of forgiveness and restoration by confession and repentance. The reason why you and I can go to our prayer closet... Or you and I can sit in our pews later this morning and we can pray to the Lord for him to save that person that's on your heart this morning or for him to restore that person that's on your heart this morning is because we can have great confidence that the Lord will do so. We can have great confidence that the Lord will save anybody. Why? Because he saved you. 
He saved me. And I like to quote the Apostle Paul whenever Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the biggest sinner that I know. The biggest sinner in the room is standing right here. But you would probably say the same about yourself. Because no one knows you better than you know yourself. You know your, de your deepest, darkest thoughts, your secrets. And the Lord still saved you or has the ability and willingness to save you. We can pray with confidence that he will do the things that he said he was going to do. A few weeks ago, Easter Sunday, I preached on the resurrection and how the proof of the resurrection, don't take my word for it, take the close to a thousand people that saw Jesus raised from the dead, take their word for it that's recorded in history. The proof of the resurrection is that everything that God said that he was going to do, everything that Jesus said he was going to do, the reason why we can just claim it and say, yes, the resurrection. The resurrection didn't happen. We didn't see Jesus raised from the dead. Then we can question all of it. But because it is true, not because I say it is, but because his word and others, many others, say that it is, we can claim every bit of it is truth. He wants to save everyone. He desires to save everyone. Without uh, uh, getting uh, fired up about certain theologies out there, there's certain people that say that there's only a certain amount of people, there's only certain folks that can enter into heaven that can respond in faith to the message of Jesus. Well, I don't believe that's true. I believe that every single one of us, if we respond in faith to the message of the gospel, will receive grace and will receive salvation. He cared enough to pray. He had and expressed confidence in God's faithfulness. You can too. 1 John 1, 9 should be a message that you memorize and proclaim as truth. If someone ever says, what about me? Can God save me? Can God really save me? This sinner that I am, the things that I've done. I sat down with a man in my office whenever I pastored in McGee. He drove a truck for some farmers, and he came in one day, and he was dirty from work, and he was, he was just, you could tell he'd just been having a tough day. I preached that previous uh, uh, week on, sermon on the forgiveness of God, and he came in. He said, I just don't believe God can forgive me. And the reason why is he started naming off all of these things that he had done without going into great detail with some of the things. He'd done some pretty crazy, pretty rotten, pretty evil things. Some of the most incredibly just out there things I'd ever even heard of. He says, so I've done these things, and he just named them one by one, and he would ask the same question. Are you sure he can still forgive me? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Say another thing. I said, Sean, you can keep going all day long. But there's not one thing that you can say that the grace of God cannot forgive. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as God had redeemed the people of Israel from Egypt, a great story of redemption. The book of Exodus for the Jews is in their, in their mind and in their world the most pivotal book, part of Scripture that there is. Because they look back and they can see the faithfulness of God, the, 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 the restoring, the redeeming nature of God throughout that book. Just as he had redeemed them from Egypt, since, and, and, and also how he had set them free from bondage 
of Babylon, he would and he could do it again. And Nehemiah is claiming that truth and asking him to do it. We need to care enough to pray that God will do it in the lives of those around us. That he will do it in our life. He'll do it in that child that, uh, that, that, that we are in charge of raising. That student uh, that we see at the school. Students, those students that we share the classroom with. That you know that their life is in turmoil. You see the sin. You see the darkness that surrounds them. Pray that the Lord will save them. That he will restore them. Nehemiah had confidence that the Lord would raise up in his people and breed faithfulness again. He asked that the Lord would give him favor with the king. This king was King Artaxerxes, and he prayed that he would give him this favor because he would need his support to do some of the things that the Lord would have Nehemiah to do to be a part of this redeeming of his people, to accomplish his mission. He cared enough to ask, he cared enough to weep, cared enough to pray. And then the last thing, I think probably the most challenging thing, you can say, yes, I care enough to, 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 to ask what's going on in someone's life or to be close enough to them to find out what's going on so that, that I can know the status of their heart. I can care enough in private to weep and to pray and to spend time fasting for that individual. But the last thing, and kind of where the rubber meets the road for us this morning, is he cared enough to do something. He cared enough to do something about it. Verse 11 says, Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer, the prayer of your servant, and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today. Why is he praying for success? Because he's about to do something. It says, Give your servant success today. Grant him compassion of the presence of this man, this king, Artaxerxes. The reason why he said, Lord, give your servant success today, because he said, God, God, I'm not okay with just doing all this stuff in private. I'm not okay with just saying that I care about something or I care about these people. Don't be okay this morning by just saying that you care or saying, yes, I will pray for you or yes, I'll even take it a step further. I'll do without something on your behalf for a certain amount of time. I'll fast for you. Care enough this morning to actually do something. He was available for God to use. The question is, are you? Are you available for God to use you? In your place of business, in your church, in your community, in your home, do you want to be a catalyst for God, restoring your family, restoring your workplace, restoring your classmates back to the Lord, to usher them into a relationship with Him for the first time, or to help them fall deeper in love with Jesus? Do you want to be a catalyst of that? If the answer is yes, then pray the same prayer, Lord, grant your servant success. Give me success. I want to do something about what's going on in this person's life in the life of my friends, in the life of my family. I want to be an Isaiah 6, verse 8 type of Christian. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. We encourage our students all the time. We 
pray that as freshmen uh, we have an encounter with them. That means to meet them. But we also not just meet them, but we capture them. Okay? I was talking to uh, uh, Brother Daniel, and I can't remember his name, said he was your sorriest deacon, but he seemed really, really... Doug, okay, there you go. He said it, not me. Okay, <laughs> so, He was talking about fishing. And, and, and we talked about fishing for men, right? We want to capture the attention and the hearts of those around us for the sake of God. Not for our sake, but for the sake of God. Well, we, we hope to do that with students. And then we hope to equip them as they become a part of our ministry. We hope to equip them with the gospel, to equip them with the Word of God, how to study the Word of God, how to learn and to be able to articulate comfortably the message of the gospel. We'll ask our students just kind of randomly. We'll be sitting in a place, and I'll say, John, share the gospel. And, and it, it never fails, for the most part, especially in the beginning. They're, uh, 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 um, uh, phone a friend type thing, right? They're, they're uncomfortable. And the thing I say is like, listen, for, for, for a disciple of Jesus Christ, there should be nothing more comfortable for us to be able to share than the message of the gospel. Now, I, I, I don't look down on those individuals because I, I was there not that long ago. But our, our, our promise to them is this. We're going to equip you in such a way to where that message is, as easier for you to, is easy for you to say and to describe as anything that I can ask you. If I ask you, hey, tell me how, I could ask Doug this, you know, tell me how to skin a fish. Or tell me the best possible way to catch fish. He could sit there for hours and describe us, I'm, I, 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 can, I can imagine. But when someone asks you what the gospel is, can you tell them? Can you share with them the truth that there is a real God that loves them and there's a malfunction in man that took place and it's right there in the very beginning, this thing called sin that came into our life that corrupted the world around us, that causes the problems that you and I and we're calling each other to care about this morning. But because we have that real loving God that really loves us, he provided for us his plan A, not plan B when everything went weird, but plan A, his son Jesus, that he would give to die in our place, to live a life for us to be able to emulate and to follow, but ultimately, as we sang about earlier, he would lay himself down, lay himself down on the cross for us to be what the Bible calls our propitiation. Because you and I, standing trial for the sin that we've committed, that we live in, that separates us from God, the, or the, the payment for that sin, is death, a spiritual death that you and I would have to face. But there could be a sacrifice to be able to pay for that that you and I could not sacrifice and you and I could not pay. But that's where Jesus comes in. And Jesus died that death for us. He paid that payment for us. And all you and I have to do is place our faith and trust in Him, the message of the gospel. And you and I, because Jesus died, was buried, He rose again, He was seen because he is alive, you and I can be alive in Christ. You and I can have that same salvation story, that same redeeming story. And there's people that are in our community. There are people that are in our schools. There are people in our lives that are not going to hear the gospel unless they hear it from you.
It's the truth. I don't say that to scare you. I actually, I don't care if it scares you. If it scares you, great. Hopefully it challenges you. There are people in your life that are not going to hear the gospel if they don't hear it from you. It's the truth. We tell our students that. We hope to reach our entire campus in the next five years. And what I mean by that is each person on our campus has heard and has had a chance to, re to respond to the message of the gospel. And I'm challenging my students, we have 12 leaders for this next year, but beyond our 12 leaders, our students to be the ones that they hear the message of the gospel from, whether it's from their mouth or it's from someone else that they've shared the gospel with. There are people in this community. There are people at your workplace. Families, your children. Who better for them to hear the gospel from than to hear it from you? And if you're trusting, and it's good to trust your pastor, it's good to trust your Sunday school teachers here, it's good to trust the people that the Lord has placed in places of leadership in this church to be able to equip your student, your family further, but it's not their job. It's not their job to be the one in your family that teaches your child, your student, the message of the gospel. They just build on it. They, they, they put the sprinkles on top, right? My question for us this morning, my challenge for us this morning, do you care? Do you care enough to get close enough? Some of you don't have to get any closer than you already are. You already know that this person's life is in shambles. Do you care enough to take it to the next step, to spend time mourning over them, praying, fasting, that the Lord will do a mighty work in their life to give you the strength and the courage to go and share with them the truth and the implications of the message of the gospel? Do you care enough to take it the next step, to do something about it, to go to them one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, can I, can I just talk with you? Can I just share with you? Can I just share with you what God has done in my life to where I was in a place, much like you were right now or are right now, but this is what Jesus has done in my life. We call them gospel appointments. Some of you might need to set up a few of them. And what that looks like is you go down to the coffee shop or you go down to uh, what I haven't, haven't got to experience all that. I, I did see a Subway. Okay, you can invite, invite and say, hey, let's, let's go grab lunch at Subway today. I just, I just want to spend some time with you. And you get with them and you inquire about their life and you share with them what God has been doing in your life. There are going to be people, as a result of your faithfulness to God's challenge and charge for us to care enough to live the Great Commission, to be a disciple who makes disciples, there are going to be people that spend eternity with their God in a real place called heaven because of your faithfulness to do something, your faithfulness to care. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this will not just be a message that I proclaim as true and uh, confidently proclaim as true, but it's one that I'll live. Lord, first and foremost, for my family, uh, Lord, I pray for uh, my daughter Willow, who's sitting in here this morning. I pray for uh, our sons, uh, Cash and Bear. I pray that they will see their mother and father living out the truth of the gospel and that they will respond in faith uh, soon and very soon uh, to that message so that they can live it out for their friends, for those around them, and that some of their friends and some of the families of their friends 
can meet Jesus because of their faithfulness. Lord, I pray that in the life of my students and my friends. I pray that for everyone in this room this morning, that we will be faithful. We will be great commission-minded. We will live sent. Father, as I was sharing about just kind of our ministry model that you've given us, as we, as we meet those students and we equip them, we teach them how to live sent lives. That wherever they go on that campus, wherever they find themselves in life is our mission field. Lord, Danville is the biggest mission field that many, if not all of these individuals in this room, will ever be in. And it's an incredible opportunity for us to live our life for your glory, for your purposes. And Lord, us expect you to do a mighty work as a result of our faithfulness. Father, if there's anyone in this room this morning that have yet to respond in faith to the message of the gospel. Lord, I pray that they will do so before they leave. No better moment than right now. That during this message of, 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 of response, they'll come down and they'll find Brother Daniel. It's like, hey, I need to talk. I saw my sister being baptized earlier, and there's, that, there's, there's something that needs to take place in my life. I want to make a fresh commitment to Jesus. I want to follow through in believer's baptism. I want to be obedient to what God is calling me to be. I want to take this step so I'll take the next step of living a sent life in the life of my friends and in my family and my community. Father, for those of us in this room that are in Christ, that have this relationship with you, Father, I pray that it's growing. I pray that we're nurturing it through the power and the presence of your word in our life. Lord, that we are finding ways for us to be able to be obedient to your call on our life to make disciples by serving in our church. First and great, great, greatest place that we have to serve and then our service here in this church, Lord, will be replicated in our life outside the church. <clears throat> and Father, we will see a mighty work in this community. Father, I pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us this morning as we sing?